wake up. Well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. Oklahoma heading up the turnpike this weekend to face the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, but this has been a week of distractions for the football program in Norman. Shortly after winning 28-11 over SMU, the news broke about Art Bryles being on the on the field uh, with the family after the game. That, that kind of covered everything that had to do with the SMU game through Tuesday pretty much. Um, and then Lincoln Riley decides to go to the media and talk about how he was abused and mistreated while he was in Norman. Um, and and I, look, I, I, I went back and forth on how much time, if any, I was going to spend on Lincoln Riley because the very last thing I want to do as Oklahoma is looking to go to 3-0 and on the season is spend time talking about a coach who's been removed for more than a year. However, social media and uh, justice warriors that are on that are on there won't let us do that. We got to talk about. It, we got to address it. So here's a couple of quick thoughts. First of all, something's happening. There's got to be a reason Lincoln Riley's going uh, to a to not not to the media even, but to a podcaster. Now I realize what I'm saying there because I am a podcaster and I've interviewed coaches. I, I've I've had the pleasure of interviewing Patty Gasso and Bob Stoops and Lon Kruger. And so forth and so on. But you know what? I never got to interview any of those guys or gals uh, in in during the season. Like outside of normal press conference um, opportunities, never sat down with Lon Kruger in the season and did an interview with him. Never sat down with Bob Stoops in the season and did an interview. Just him and I one-on-one. But Lincoln Riley does that. And he's not talking about the Pac-12 that's, that's dissolving. He's not talking about the Big Ten where his team is moving to. He's still talking about Oklahoma. Except for this time, it's about how he was mistreated. About how people tried to break into his house on multiple occasions. About how his his daughters didn't feel safe. And none of it checks out. Absolutely none of it checks out. There's no, there's no police report on any of these incidents. He's talking about his daughters being threatened at school. There's no report of that ever happening. He's talking about his home home invasions and people trying to get into his house after he announced his resignation. First of all, he lived he lived in a gated community. So if he's going to live in a gated community, there's got to be a record of people in and out of that community. There's no record of people breaking into his house. There's no police report of people breaking into his house. Oh, but people in Southern Cal, they're loving it. Oh, Oklahoma fans, they're trash. They're dirty. They're terrible people. I mean, forget that there's no paper trail. Forget that there's no evidence. Forget that you got a guy who's a perpetual liar spewing this stuff. Just jump on board and buy whatever the coach sells. Because that's what Lincoln Riley does. He sells for a while, and then he burns you. And then he leaves you high and dry and moves on to the next biggest and best thing. And that's what's happening in Southern Cal. I, I promise you, he's moving on. Southern Cal will not be a long-term destination. Some people are saying he's gone after Caleb Williams, which which could be the case. But he could stick around for an, another year or two. I, he doesn't want to play in the Big Ten. I, I promise you that. He, he wants no part of that. I've said this from day one. I'll keep saying it. He bolted from Norman for two reasons. And really, they both had to do with the SEC. 
The first reason was he wasn't asked. They didn't ask him per, for permission to move this athletic department into the SEC. He felt as if, as the head coach of the University of Oklahoma, he deserved to have his say in the matter. And his feelings were hurt that he was not consulted on Oklahoma moving to the SEC. The second thing that happened is that he knows in the SEC he's not going to be top dog. Now, he, he could have been and he was the top coach in the Big 12. Undoubtedly, he could have remained in that position. But now you're going to a, to a conference that has Kirby Smart, to a conference that has Nick Saban. These guys have won national titles. They're, they're, they're legends. All, I mean, Nick Saban's been a legend for a while. Kirby Smart's on his way to being a legend. Lane Kiffin's in there and all the stuff that goes with Lane Kiffin, that pomp and circumstance and circus that follows him around. Lincoln Riley was never going to be top dog in the SEC. So what does he do? He packs up and he goes to the Pac-12 where he can once again be top dog, except for, oh yeah, USC forgot to tell him they're moving to the Big Ten. And in the Big Ten, you got Ryan Day. In the, the Big Ten, you got Jim Harbaugh. And guess what? You're never going to be top dog in the Big Ten. So the same issues that he had at Oklahoma, he's now having at USC. It's just you can't burn that bridge that fast. But what's happening now? Think, consider the whole landscape of everything that's happening in the Pac-12. The conference is dissolving. His window of opportunity is, is very closed, uh, very closed as of right now. Deion Sanders is there, and I don't think the Colorado Buffaloes are going to be a challenge for the Pac-12 title this year. They're definitely better than what people thought they would be coming into the season, but the circus in the Pac-12 is, is in Boulder, Colorado. Everyone in the Pac-12, they're talking about Deion Sanders, and when you're, you're dealing with a guy who has such an ego it is so narcissistic that everything has to be about him all the time. It is eating Lincoln Riley up, eating him up that everyone's talking about Deion Sanders, who, by the way, another, another big Eagle guy. So you got Deion Sanders out in Boulder, who's just, by the way, they're, I mean, they're on their way out. Everyone's on their way out of the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is a sinking ship and everyone's jumping off of it. So that there is no talk of the Pac-12 anymore. But you got Deion Sanders. Second thing you have happening is Brent Venables is out recruiting Lincoln Riley left and right. Not just doing what Lincoln Riley couldn't do at Oklahoma by landing five-star talent on both sides of the ball. Lincoln Riley could get the Caleb Williams and the Spencers Rattlers. He couldn't, he couldn't get the David Stones of the world. He couldn't get the P.J. Adabares of the world. And you remember one of the things that he said, I, I got to go to USC. I got to go to California. It's the Mecca of college football. And I can't, I can't recruit the type of talent to Oklahoma that I need to win. I can recruit them to California. I can recruit them to LA, but I can't get them to come to Oklahoma. And all Brent Venables has done in the two years he's been here, the year and a half that he's been here, is he's out recruited Lincoln Riley. And he's getting that five-star talent that Lincoln Riley couldn't get. He's getting them to come to OU. Lincoln Riley didn't have a Norman, Oklahoma problem. Lincoln Riley had a Lincoln Riley problem. So there's not a lot of hype surrounding his team either. If you think about it, they're the number five team in the country. They're 3-0. People are talking about Michigan. 
because of the Jim Harbaugh situation. They're talking about Georgia because of the defending national champions. They're even talking about Texas. Texas beat Alabama. They're not talking about USC. So you got all this happening. And so Lincoln Riley has to come up with something to get back into the media circus. But why pick a blogger? Why, why pick a podcast guy? Why, why not go to a media outlet? Why not go? Why, why not call up ESPN? Why not call up CBS? Why not call up Fox and say, hey, I got a story about my departure from Oklahoma that I've never shared with anyone before. And so I want to share it with you. You're telling me Fox would have turned that down? You're telling me CBS would have turned that down? You're, you're telling me ESPN would have turned that down? No, they wouldn't have if it was credible. But the problem is it's not credible. And the, the, the networks, ESPN, Fox, ABC, of course, ABC is ESPN, but you know what I'm saying. The networks would have all done their homework on that. The very first call they would have made after hearing that story was they would have gone to the Norman Police Department. And they would have done what the local Oklahoma beat writers did on Wednesday. They would have called the Norman Police Department and said, hey, Open Records Act, what do you got on Lincoln Riley, University of Oklahoma, calls to his house for people breaking and entering? And the Norman Police Department would have said to the national media the exact same thing they did to the Oklahoma beat writers. Dude, there's nothing here. There's no record of that. That never happened. And then you got a big black eye because you lied to the national media. But now it's, uh, oh, it's the local beat guys. They're, they're covering their trails. They're, they're there to promote the University of Oklahoma. They're, you know, they're, they don't like Lincoln Riley, which they don't. Nobody does. But now it's uh, he said, she said against local beat writers as opposed to he said, she said against national networks. So that's why he went to a podcaster and not to a national network. This is very much a, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm a good guy and I was mistreated type of story. But it's just a story. It's made up. It's not real. There's no credible evidence at all behind it. So what does this boil down to? It boils down to to Deion Sanders. It boils down to being out-recruited. It boils down to not, not, not the hype machine around his program that he thought there would be. And then there's one more key thing here. One more key thing. USC's off this weekend. Trojans aren't playing football this weekend. So they're not going to be talking about Caleb Williams. They're not going to be talking about Lincoln Riley. They're not going to be talking about Los Angeles. So what do you do? How do you get your name out there? How do you get people talking about you? You do a podcast interview. You throw out some accusations against your former school, even though you've been gone for a year and a half. By the way, why wait a year and a half to bring this information out? Why not bring it out right there at the front when everyone was hating on you and you were trying to slow walk your fast exodus out of Norman? Why not bring it up then? So just trying to stay in the limelight, trying to have your name circulated through the media, trying to keep your program relevant on a bye week. That's what this comes down to. And I don't think people are buying it. I'm going to be curious to see over the weekend how the national media takes this because the the backlash hasn't been good for Lincoln Riley. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. At the end of the day, I don't care. Man, I just just don't don't care about Lincoln Riley anymore. I don't care about USC. I I would assume just not talk about this. But instead, I've spent about 10 minutes talking about it because – Social media is all a buzz about it, and I guess I have to address current topics. So, 
Now the current topic is Oklahoma and Tulsa. We're going to jump right back into that here on the Sooner Nation podcast. Oklahoma currently sits at a 28.5-point favorite over Tulsa, 2.30 kickoff Central Time on Saturday. The game will be televised, ESPN2, if you can't make it to Chapman Stadium in Tulsa. 59.5 is your over-under. We'll jump into predictions here at the close of the podcast. Let's let's go, let's go to some um, some important storylines surrounding this game. I think you got to start with the health situation of the Tulsa quarterbacks. Now the depth chart came out. Kevin Wilson has uh, has Braylon Braxton as the starting quarterback. Here's the deal: Braxton was injured in the season opener, didn't play last week uh, at Washington, which put Cardell Williams both as the guy to carry the load for the season opener and go into that Washington game in Seattle last week. Williams got hurt himself, which left junior Roman Fuller as your guy. Has He's completed 70% of his passes for the Golden Hurricane, has two touchdowns on the season. Not a lot as far as scoring, but, I mean, he was going up against Washington. Here's what's important about Roman Fuller. He's the only quarterback on the Tulsa roster of the three that have played. He's the only one who's got zero interceptions. And apparently he's the only one who's 100% healthy. So I think that's the guy who basically steps into the spotlight from this point forward. Now, they they may go with Braylon Braxton. He could be healthy after missing last week's game. Cardell Williams could be better after getting his hand banged up against Tulsa. That's the way the depth chart reads. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of attention and a lot of eyeballs on Roman Fuller as these two teams warm up and get ready to take the field for real on Saturday afternoon because he could be the guy moving forward for the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. We just don't know at this point what those guys, other guys are looking at health-wise. I think another storyline you look at when you're talking about health is, is on the Oklahoma side with the defense is, um, is the cheetah position because you lose Desan McCullough in that season opener. Brent Venable said he's hopeful that McCullough could play on Saturday against Tulsa, but nothing's a guarantee there, and he didn't play last week. And then Justin Harrington kind of gets banged up and has a has a knee brace on later in that game as well. So what is Oklahoma looking like health-wise from the cheetah position? Again, that's another area where you got to look at Oklahoma. Cornerback um, got banged up. The cheetah position is banged up right now. And you're a week away from starting conference play by taking another road trip. This is a little bit further. Not going up I-44 for this one. You're going to Cincinnati, Ohio to play the Bearcats and open up Big 12 play. I think, I think, again, no one, no one asked me my opinion, and I certainly don't get paid big bucks to advise these coaches. But, man, if you can get away with it, I do think you rest McCullough. I do think you rest Justin Harrington. If they're nicked up, because you definitely need them for conference play more than you need them against Tulsa, because you can you can switch several guys over to that 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 cheetah position. What you can't do is replace those guys in the conference play, and so I, I get it. Justin Justin Harrington is a first year full time starter. I, I get it. Deson McCullough transferring in from Indiana to Oklahoma, trying to adapt to this defense. Both of those guys have high ceilings. Which is why both of them are needed in conference play. So that's that's a storyline to watch for Oklahoma on that cheetah position. Here's another question: Will this game be a blowout? Oklahoma is twenty-seven and one. That's twenty-seven and one all time against Tulsa. 
Since 1943, the Sooners are 14-1 against the Golden Hurricane, and the last nine games between these two schools have resulted in an average score of 48-13 in favor of the Sooners. Now, there's a lot been made of Kevin Wilson and Brent Venables and those two guys being buddies, and they are. They shared the same sideline together. They shared the same coaches' meetings together. They shared the same locker room together for a lot of a lot of years at the University of Oklahoma when Brent was running the defense and Kevin was running the offense. You know, there's a, there's a statue of, Stan, of of Sam Bradford outside the stadium, and a big portion, a big reason why Sam got that statue uh, and why he got the Heisman was because of Kevin Wilson and what he did running this offense. So these two guys are buddies. They're they're good friends. But man, Oklahoma needs some style points. 28 to 11 over SMU last Saturday night in Norman and the Sooners drop in the polls. So you got to go on the road and you got to win big. So the question is how big is Brent willing to to win over his friend because he's got to make a statement. But that is his friend on the other side of the of the field. Now I think Kevin Wilson understands the situation. That man understands the game. He's been in it a long time. He's been an assistant coach. He's been a co-head coach. He's been the head coach. He knows what he's doing, and he knows what needs to be done. So I don't think Kevin Wilson's going to be a guy who goes and cries foul if Oklahoma runs up the score a little bit. I think he's going to be a guy who says, you know, we didn't want him to do that. We tried to stop him from doing that, but at the end of the day, they needed to do it, and we needed to stop him, and we couldn't. It's probably where Kevin Wilson is going to be standing uh, somewhere, you know, in his statement after the game, if this turns into a route. And again, I got some thoughts on the on the prediction at the end of the podcast. But you know, when you look at the difference between Oklahoma in 2022, first year under Brent Venables, and 2023, the second year under Brent Venables, one of the very first things that stands out is what they've done on third down through the first two games of the season. Last year, Oklahoma ranked 49th nationally in third down conversion. That's offense converting third downs. They were 49th nationally. Now, that's top 15. That's that's okay. That's average. So you can say they were average on third down conversion. Now, they were terrible on fourth down last year. Third down, they were average. Defensively, they were 87th in the nation on third down conversion, meaning they were 87th in the nation at stopping their opponents from converting third downs. And how many times, how many times do we as fans see this defense on the field and think, you just got to stop them right here. Stop them on this third down and the offense comes in with a chance to win the game or the offense comes in with a chance to make the score closer or the offense comes in with a chance to hold that lead, right? How many times do we go through that? Think about the Kansas State game last year. That was kind of the eye-opening game for us. That was the game where we walked out of the stadium scratching our heads going, what did I just see? How many times did Adrian Martinez just run for 15 yards or 17 yards or 30 yards when he only needed 14, 16, or 29 yards? They were 87th in the nation at stopping their opponents on third down last year. Now, we're only in two games of the season. We've only played eight quarters of football in 2023, but so far Oklahoma ranks third nationally at converting third downs. The Sooners are 18 of 28 on third down conversions in 2023. And they're even better defensively. 
Offensively, they've converted 18 of 28 attempts. Defensively, their opponents through the first two games have only converted 6 of 27 attempts. So that, that is night and day difference from where they were a year ago to where they are right now. Is that something, as you continue to play better opponents, as you continue to see that strength of schedule increase each weekend with a different opponent leading you into conference play, do those trends hold? Oklahoma third nationally offensively on third down conversions. They're eighth nationally defensively on third down conversions. Both, both top ten. Now, I said 49th was average. Clearly, 87th, you're below average. Right now, you're exceptional. So far, 2023, you're exceptional. And there, I mean, again, Arkansas State is in that mix. So celebrate these stats, be encouraged by these stats, but understand Arkansas State is in that mix. Memphis, I'm recording this on Thursday night. Memphis is going to play uh, against Navy on Thursday night. Memphis is a decent team, but they pasted Arkansas State last week as well. So it's not like Arkansas State is an offensive juggernaut. Now SMU, any defensive stats that you have that are favorable against SMU, that's worth going, hmm, that's pretty good. We don't give SMU enough credit. We didn't give SMU enough credit before the game last week. We didn't give SMU enough credit during the game last week. And we haven't given SMU enough credit after the game. Keep an eye on SMU. They're going to play TCU here in a couple weeks in the Battle of Fort Worth. And I promise you, right now, I'm telling you, they will give TCU everything the Horned Frogs want. SMU will be a top 25 team before the end of this season. So you take the, you take the wins defensively against SMU and you think, that's good. You take the wins defensively against Arkansas State and you think, well, everyone's doing that. But at the end of the day, 8th nationally and defending on third down, 3rd nationally and converting on third down offensively, great, great stats through two games. Can they hold those into game 3, 4, 5, 6, and so on? Another good stat for this defense is they've only given up one touchdown in in two games. And that touchdown came late in the game with SMU uh, last Saturday. And the last time Oklahoma went seven, at least seven quarters without allowing a touchdown to open the season. That was 1999. That was Bob Stoops' first year. You got to go back 1999, 24 years to find a, a, a start as good as this defense has started in 2023. And one of the things I'm going to talk about when I give my score prediction is how this defense has been tested but not tested week in and week out just yet. But through through eight quarters of football, they went to the transfer portal. They went into the prep rankings. You get you get Peyton Bowen. You get PJ Adabara. You get these guys that are young and they're going to be superstars. And you're developing them. But you also get the Desan McCullough. Um, you get the kid from Texas Tech. You get the kid from Notre Dame, Jacob Lacey. You get Trace Ford out of Oklahoma State. And you rebuild Reggie Pearson. I couldn't think of his name for some reason from Texas Tech. You rebuild your defense immediately through the transfer portal. That's what this era of college football free agency, also known as the transfer portal, that's what it does for us. 
And and the, the jury is still very much out on this 2023 Oklahoma defense, but you're looking at a defense that's off to its best start statistically since 1999. And that's something that you can at least look at and go, okay, well, there's improvement. You want to see improvement from year one to year two? Well, you still got a lot of games on the regular season schedule. Potentially, you got a Big 12 championship in the postseason. You got a bowl game in the postseason. Right? So you got a lot of football left ahead of you in 2023. But through two games, if you're looking for improvement, if you're looking for something to say, yep, this team is better, there it is right there. Third down conversion and points allowed. And we can keep beating a dead horse. We can keep saying, well, they can't get pressure on the quarterback. They can't register quarterback sacks. They've only got two quarterback sacks. Okay, I, I can, I'll, I'll hear that. But you, you at least have to acknowledge the pressure against SMU was different than the pressure against Arkansas State. I, I'm a firm believer against Arkansas State. They just want those defensive backs to get a workout. There, again, no stunting, no blitzing, things we've already talked about. You saw stunting. You saw blitzing. And even though you didn't see the, on the stat record the quarterback sacks, you got to give that quarterback some credit, man. That, that dude made throws that a lot of quarterbacks can't make. I mean, he made Power 5 conference quarterback throws. He's going to be a stud. But you had five tackles for loss. You had the quarterback pressures. There were plays made in SMU's offensive backfield. So you can keep crying and harping about the lack of, of quarterback sacks. I can't argue that with you. Only two sacks. All right, that's where we are. But there, you cannot say, you can't say that there wasn't pressure in the second, in the, in the backfield. It was there. You've given up one touchdown, one score, offensive touchdown, in eight quarters of football. And by the way, Let's jump back over to the offensive side of the ball real fast and talk about a storyline that, that's that's pretty impressive. He's played eight quarters of football. The defense has had three takeaways. Two interceptions, fumble recovery. So you got two takeaways. Offense hasn't turned the ball over yet. I pause there because I'm one of those guys that believes if you say it when you're talking about sports, you jinx it, right? One of those guys that can't stand it if you're in the in a, in a close game and someone says, oh, we got this. Just make this stop right here and the game's over. I can't stand that kind of stuff because I, I, I guess I am superstitious when it comes to sports. But, I mean, it is what it is. I've already said it. Oklahoma has yet to turn the ball over this season. If they turn it over Saturday in Tulsa, I'll take full responsibility. It can all be on me. Here's the final storyline you want to keep an eye on with this game, and it is the revitalization of Oklahoma special teams. We talked about this post-game uh, after SMU, but you got the big punt return by Gavin Freeman in the season opener. You got Peyton Bowen's block of the punt last week against SMU. Of course, obviously, Gavin Freeman's return was a touchdown. Peyton Bowen's punt block turned into a touchdown. So you got things going with the special teams. And it's one of those things now where you have to – uh, spend time, if you're an opponent of the University of Oklahoma, you have to spend time scheming for special teams. In years past, it was like, guys, we're going to punt it to them. We'll run a punt safe so they don't block it. And we're going to punt it and they're going to fair catch it. That's, I mean, that's the way it was. That's, that's what happened with this team in years past. 
But through two games of the season, you can't take that stance anymore. And they've got dangerous guys on kickoff return as well. So it makes you wonder, well, at what point, at what phase of special teams will there be a big play on Saturday? Will it be the kickoff? Will it be punt return? Will it be, you know, blocking the punt again? Something along those lines. There's going to be a big play for special teams. What aspect is it going to be in? So there you are. There's some of the storylines that are kind of important as Oklahoma gets ready to play Tulsa. we got some key players to talk about, and then I've got a score prediction for you. All right, this is the Sooner Nation Podcast. Thanks so much for those of you that tune in and drop a comment or send a message. We really appreciate it. Um, if you like it, hit that subscribe button. If you don't like it, thanks for trying it out. Uh, I know there's lots of options out there, and we're just glad you came to us for one try or two tries or however many it took you to get rid of us. Um, let's look at a couple of things here for Oklahoma that uh, you want to look at matchup-wise that are important for this game and the players are going to allow it to happen or prevent it from happening. I think the first thing you got to go to and what you're going to watch is Oklahoma's defense against the Tulsa run game. Now, one thing we know about Kevin Wilson is that the guy can produce running backs. Think back to, uh, to you know, the days at Oklahoma and, and you had – the 2,000-yard backs in, two, in, the, in 2008 and so forth, the guy can put out some running backs and, and, and really move the ball on the ground. Right now, the Tulsa ranks 28th nationally, 82.5 yards per game on the ground. And they've got a run-pass option um, ratio of 89 running plays to 52 passing plays. you got guys like Jordan Ford, 5.2 yards per carry. Anthony Watkins, 6 yards per carry. This is going to be the heart of what they do against Oklahoma defense. You have to try it. You have to try it for multiple reasons. Number one, we already talked about the quarterback situation and whether they're healthy or they're not. Even if they are healthy, the second thing is it's a whole lot easier to run block than it is to pass block, especially when you're overwhelmed at the point of attack. And so I think you're going to see a run-first offense for Tulsa against this Oklahoma defense. We saw that against Washington. You're going to see it against Saturday at home against the Sooners. And that puts guys like Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanick on notice. Danny Stutzman already leads the Big 12 in total tackles. He was the Big 12's leading tackler in 2022, so far through two games in 2023. And if you think about it, what's more impressive about this is he hasn't even played two full games because that Arkansas State game, everyone got pulled at halftime. So Danny Stutzman leading the Big 12 in tackles already in 2023. He should be your leading tackler again on Saturday. Jaron Kanick should be up there, if not right with Danny Stutzman at number two. He'll be top three tackler for this defense because that's what Kevin Wilson is going to do. He's going to run the ball into the teeth of this Oklahoma defense and where you've got to be sound uh, in your defensive back positions. But remember what I said about the cheetah position, how you can give Desan McCullough uh, another week of rest, how you can set Justin Harrington out and give him a week of rest and rotate somebody else in there um, at that cheated position. This is a, a week where you can do that because what's going to happen is, yeah, you got to be sound in the defensive secondary, but a lot of the things that are going to happen are going to happen up front with that front seven defensively. The front seven is going to be crucial to this game, uh, to the game plan defensively for Oklahoma. And that puts Danny Sussman and Jaron Kinnick on notice, like I said. Now, they're going to have to win battles in the defensive secondary. Don't get me wrong. Because if you've got an open receiver at this level, anybody can make a throw on any Saturday. So you've got to be heads up. You've got you you to win those battles. But really what you're looking at is what's going to happen in the trenches. 
And what happens in the trenches is going to set the tone for this defense-offense matchup for Oklahoma. So you got your front, you got your front down linemen. They're gonna, they're gonna, you know, try to keep gaps clean for the linebackers. They're gonna try to be disruptive in the secondary. But I, I think it's on the, these linebackers. I really do. I think it's on these linebackers to protect the edges, to hit those gaps, and to shut these running plays down at the point of attack or shortly after. You want to hold Tulsa to three yards or less on first down. That's what you want. Three yards or less on first down. Linebackers make that happen. I think the second thing you look at with this Oklahoma-Tulsa game is whether Oklahoma can produce 100-yard rushers in back-to-back weeks. Now, raise your hand if you had Tawi Walker as Oklahoma's leading running back through two weeks of the season. 29 carries, 161 yards on the season. 117 of those yards came last week against SMU. Wasn't the starter. He, he was the first guy against SMU to carry the ball. Marcus Major was the first guy. Excuse me. Tawi Walker was the first guy against Arkansas State to carry the ball. Marcus Major was the first guy um, against SMU to carry the ball. But Walker yet stole the show with his 117-yard performance. The Tulsa's 51st in run defense. They're, they're allowing opponents 3.25 yards per carry. Remember, I said you want to be 1 to 3 yards on first down. Tulsa's pretty much doing that across the board. So th- this is going to be a good exercise in back-to-back weeks for Oklahoma because SMU is pretty salty against the run as well. They held their, their week one opponent, Louisiana Tech, to less than two yards per carry. But I, I think you might have you, you might have a little bit of a paper tiger, so to speak, with Tulsa and their run defense. Washington went for 109 yards against Tulsa, but they did it at five yards per carry. What that tells you is that Washington, they didn't run, they didn't not run the ball because they couldn't. They didn't run the ball because they chose not to. Because if you're eating up pavement, turf, whatever you want to call it, at five yards per carry, you're having a pretty good day on the ground. The thing is that Washington was having an even better day in the air. Michael Phoenix Jr., 109 yards passing. Now, I I I'm pretty high on Dylan Gabriel. I, I think I'm higher on Dylan Gabriel than your average Joe because I see a lot of value in what he does. Does he have the greatest arm in the Big 12? No. Does he have the highest ceiling in the Big 12? No. But what he is 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 is, is he's the most seasoned veteran quarterback that the Big 12 has to offer. There's not a quarterback in this conference that has the level and the years of experience that Dylan Gabriel has. If we're talking about arm strength, and if we're talking about ceiling, well, he's not even number one on the team. I mean, there's not even an argument. That, that's Jackson Arnold. But if you're talking about wisdom, calmness under pressure, leadership, all that thing you want for in a guy that's just supposed to run the show, that's what Dylan Gabriel offers. So I'm not going to say he's going to stack up to what Penix does from, from Washington. But if... Washington's thrown for 109. I think this this leaves the potential for Dylan Gabriel to have a pretty good day. But Oklahoma's been run heavy as well. They've run the ball more times than they've passed it. 
Some of that is the blowout win over Arkansas State. Some of that is what we've talked about since the bowl game with Florida State, this this evolution of the Jeff Levy offense to be more run heavy, to pound at that defense and pound away at them until they kind of gas them out and you got everybody sucked in for the run game and then it opens things up passing. But regardless, Dylan Gabriel should have a heck of a day on Saturday. But will Oklahoma give you back-to-back 100-yard rushers? And I, you got to, at this point, think that Tawi Walker is your leading candidate for that to happen. But then again, also, I think you're, this is going we saw five backs in week one against Arkansas State. You're going to see three to five backs in week three against Tulsa, I believe. But here's the last thing to watch. Here, and I've already talked about all the players here. I talked about Tawi Walker, talked about Dylan Gabriel. The only guy I haven't talked about is Andrew Anthony. But will Jeff Levy open it back up this week against Tulsa? That's the last thing you got to look for here. Will he open it back up? And this was a wide open downfield vertical attack offense in week one. In week two, it was, it was more of a model of efficiency, keep it close to the vest, grind it out, wear them down type offense in week two. What do you get in week three? Dylan Gabriel's longest pass play this season, 52 yards, happened in week one. Andrew Anthony's longest reception this season, 45 yards, happened in week one. You kind of see what the, the point here. Against Arkansas State, Oklahoma averaged, when they snapped the ball on offense, Oklahoma averaged 8.65 yards per offensive play. Against SMU, 5.25 yards per offensive play. And I know, I, I've made the argument myself, SMU better defense, right? Better defense stats should go down. But here's the most glaring thing, the glaring, most glaring hole in that argument. Pass plays against Arkansas State, Oklahoma averaged 12.8 yards per pass attempt. 12.8 per pass attempt. Against SMU, 6.5 yards per pass attempt. Almost half. I mean, just barely above half is what I'm saying. 12.8, 6.5. And we're talking about a quarterback who completed 70% of his passes against SMU. It's not like Dylan Gabriel only completed 40 to 50% of the passes, and so you got a lot of incompletions in bringing that number down. That number's down because they chose to stretch the field against Arkansas State. They chose not to stretch the field against SMU, but they're still getting the ball in Andrew Anthony's hands. So what are they going to do in week three? You go to vertical week one, you keep it conservative and close to the vest and efficient in week two. What do you get in week three? And that's where we are on this thing. So I think uh, at the end of the day, you're going to get an Oklahoma win on Saturday, but the question is by how much? Again, point spreads 28.5 over under is 59.5. So here it is for me. Here, here's what I've got. I, to be fair, I've not picked Oklahoma to cover the point spread yet. They're 2-0 and against the point spread this season. So maybe I've got a good thing going in that reverse jinx philosophy. So because of that, I'm not picking Oklahoma to cover the spread again this week. I, I've got this game 42-17 to area. 42-17, to which is going to do two things. Number one, it's going to be 25 points 
which would put Oklahoma underneath that point spread. But another, the other thing is this. That's 59 points total, and you got to over-under at 59.5. So I've got OU winning 42-17, to 17, hitting you at 59 points, half a point under that total, and not covering the spread. So... That's it for this episode of the Sooner Nation Podcast. Again, thanks so much for those of you guys that are tuning in. Many ways you can participate. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. At Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can find us online, heartland-sports.com. You can drop a comment on the podcast page. We've got stuff leading up to the game. We've got stuff after the game. Um, we got other stuff uh, on the website, NFL, MLB, kind of against the spread type stuff. We're going to have Thunder coverage coming up really starting next month. We'll start getting into some Thunder coverage. Uh, but thanks so much for you guys tuning in and checking out the website. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your football. We'll be back Sunday night to talk what was Oklahoma, Tulsa, Enjoy it. Boomer Sooner. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets drunk next to you. And if I have yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's heavering to you. But I would walk by